Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. This is the Skip Bayless Show. This is episode seven. Now, as many of you might know, I'm supposed to be on vacation. I'm on vacation from Undisputed this week, but I just couldn't help myself. I just couldn't stay away. I've got so much to say that I have not been able to say on television that here I am. And I'm about to tell you why LeBron James is the GOAT in one category. And I'm about to tell you how Aaron Rodgers, the LeBron James of the National Football League, is the GOAT of the NFL in that same category. And I'm about to tell you how Juwan Howard at six feet, nine inches tall, looked down, 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 and got even madder because he was looking at a rival coach who didn't even play college basketball. And I will end today with a rather poignant perspective about my man, Michael Jeffrey Jordan, as he approaches age 60. As always, I'm going to get to several of your questions. I'm going to go deep on those questions. But as always, we start with what it's time for now, and that is not to be skipped. Topic number one. LeBron James did clinch one GOAT award over All-Star Weekend. He is now hands down the all-time greatest master media manipulator in the history of all of sports. Any athlete, any year, any era, any time, hands down, LeBron stole this award and ran with it over the weekend. What he just pulled off was, to me, hilariously brilliant. Master media manipulator. The phony goat, as I call him in the basketball context, just managed to scapegoat Lakers GM Rob Palenka for not fixing the problem that LeBron himself created in the first place. Look, by all accounts, and I first guessed this, LeBron James was the one responsible for telling Palinka no on a Buddy Heal deal that he had on the table, all, all but done, just needed LeBron to sign off on with the Sacramento Kings. LeBron pushed and pushed and pushed some more for the Lakers to go get Russell Westbrook. Again, I first guessed this on Undisputed. I said, disaster waiting to happen. 
will not fit, will not work. And boy, was I right about this one. But I also first guessed that LeBron had two ideas in mind here. He had a two-pronged approach to this, two-pronged master plan. First, he would try to pull off something that obviously Kevin Durant could not, would not, should not even have ever tried, and that is to win with Russell Westbrook in Oklahoma City. If he could pull that off, if he could pull off what James Harden couldn't pull off, if he could pull off what Paul George couldn't pull off in Oklahoma City, if he could pull off what Kawhi said, I don't want any part of, then LeBron could maybe help his goat case by saying, look what I did, ladies and gentlemen. I won with Russell Westbrook. I did something nobody else could do. I knew that wouldn't work. That brought us to step two, stage two, which is the scapegoat stage. The goat always needs, and I'm putting quote around goats, the, the goat always needs an excuse, a finger to point, a scapegoat. And in this case, it was set up right on cue to be Russell West Brick. Well, not only was he was the GOAT, but, but Russ failed so badly and so quickly that he was almost a too obvious scapegoat. And all of a sudden, LeBron, as the Lakers began to fail, saw a way out, a road possibly to redemption. Aha, I got rid of Russell Westbrook. And then AD and I, Anthony Davis and I, went on and pulled this off or that off or whatever they might be able to pull off without Russell gumming up their works. And here they went, and they come up with a plan, thanks to Clutch Sports, and Shannon Sharp, my partner on Undisputed, gets furious with me because I'm sure Rich Paul gets furious with me, but Clutch Sports was obviously started by LeBron. Initially, it was funded by LeBron. It is overseen by LeBron. It is run by Rich Paul, and he is great at what he does. I'm a big fan of Rich Paul. I'm an even bigger fan of Maverick Carter, who is LeBron's right-hand man in all of his business dealings, Hollywood and Wall Street. LeBron has surrounded himself with not good, but great people. But in this case, Thanks to Rich Paul and Clutch, they had another client named John Wall, who is obviously on ice in mothballs in Houston. So obviously it made sense suddenly to LeBron and to Rich, well, let's just trade problems because John Wall is irrelevant to this equation. It, it doesn't matter whether John Wall plays one dribble for the Lakers, this would be addition by subtraction. Just get rid of Russ. Get him out of here. Get him out of our hair, out of our way, out of our sight. Let Houston use him as a sideshow as they continue to rebuild a drawing card, which he still is. And whether John Wall sits on the bench or leads the, the bench mob or, or whatever he does, just doesn't matter to the equation. Addition by subtraction. Obviously, Houston says, well, We'll take him off your hands, but we at least need your 2027 first round pick. And guess what Jeannie Buss finally said? Daughter of Dr. Jerry Buss. She's tough, Jeannie. She's smart. She's been around. She grew up in this business. And she finally said, that's enough. 
I've seen and heard enough of LeBron James running this show. He's the one who wanted Russ. I'm not going to let him undo his mistake, costing us our first in 2027 when obviously LeBron will no longer be a Laker. So Jeannie put her foot down and said no. And here came LeBron with a 21-gun salute. On the attack over All-Star Weekend, dating back to last week, it was so transparently childish. It was so transparently petty. LeBron now wears the crown of biggest diva in the history of sports. There's never been anything like this guy. Great talent. Still the best passer in basketball. Still the greatest driver of the basketball I've ever seen. Still has the highest IQ on the basketball court. And he is the biggest diva who ever stepped on a basketball court or a football field or any other field of play. He is the drama king. And it actually started last week with the social media posts concerning Les Snead, the Rams GM. You remember what it was. LeBron posted the picture of the T-shirt that actually Les Snead's kids got for him that says, F those picks. Well, obviously, Les Snead traded away his present and his future for what turned out to be a Super Bowl champion because he acquired the talent he needed to win now. So LeBron posts, Les Snead, my type of guy, trading picks for now. And obviously, that turns all the guns out there on social media toward Rob Palenka because obviously LeBron is cheering on the LA Rams GM at the expense of the LA Lakers GM, Rob Palenka. If only Palenka had traded his 2027 pick to get me, LeBron, out from under Russ. And then he goes to All-Star Weekend and the attack escalates. He makes it clear that he will leave the Lakers, will LeBron James, to play with Bronny, his son, when Bronny, two years from now, becomes draft eligible in the NBA. And in so doing, he makes the point that, oh, speaking of Oklahoma City, Sam Presti is actually the MVP of the Oklahoma City Thunder, and LeBron actually presented him as the MVP of GMs of the league because of all the genius moves Sam Presti has pulled off drafting players in OKC. And obviously, now Laker Nation leaps to the conclusion, wait a second, Sam Presti has four first-round picks in what would become the Bronny draft. So does that mean LeBron is angling to get out of Laker Nation to Oklahoma City to play with Bronny for a year or maybe a couple of years? Is he pushing Sam Presti to draft Bronny? To me, I'm afraid he's pushing for his son to get overdrafted. I just don't think his son's going to be a first-round pick. I could be wrong about that. I haven't had the privilege, the opportunity of studying LeBron and Bronny playing high school basketball. I assume unless LeBron gets the rule changed, which he is capable and powerful enough to get it changed, I assume I'm going to get to watch Bronny play a year of 
college basketball. I'm just going to guess it would be at Duke. I don't know that. But from everything I read, everything I hear, the clips I see, I'm just not sure at this point Bronny projects as a first-round NBA pick. But LeBron's going to get him drafted high, and he's going to get him paid because somebody could get the package deal of Bronny and Braun. Even though Braun may only have a year or so left, it might be worth it to a Sam Presti. So here we go again. Attack on Palinka. And then reports became rampant that LeBron was upset with Palinka for not trading the first-round pick. And... This led to a report on ESPN.com from my friend Brian Windhorst, who does a great job of covering LeBron because he's covered him since middle school. And I did read one line in Brian's column on this, LeBron on the attack, that stopped me in my tracks. Brian Windhorst suggested that back in 2018, LeBron got so upset with the Cavs management, starting obviously at the top with Dan Gilbert, the owner, with whom he had feuded constantly, and I, I thought the bridge got burned the first time around, but it didn't. And now it was on fire again, according to Brian, because he said that members of the Cavaliers front office believed that LeBron was shutting it down because he did not like the makeup of that 2018 Cavs team leading into the trade deadline period. Wait a second. LeBron was quitting on the Cavs? I had never heard that. It, it didn't readily jump off the TV screen to my eye, but Brian's report was that members of the Cavaliers saw it before others could see it. He was giving less than his best. And if you remember, there was a flurry of Cavs moves at that 2018 deadline. Some Lakers, Jordan Clarkson, Larry Nance, various other, you could say, bit parts, spare parts, but they all fit in, and I thought they were a little better obviously after the trade deadline than they were before trade deadline. But the point was LeBron got his way by starting to shut it down, giving less than his best. I was shocked by that. And quick point before I leave the whole Sam Presti idea, I would like to make the point because I know so much about it that as great as Sam Presti is drafted, you realize a huge reason that Kevin Durant left Russell Westbrook is because Kevin believed that Sam Presti favored Westbrook over Kevin. And I got that from many people in and around that franchise. I'm originally from Oklahoma City. Never thought we'd have an NBA team to even debate about, but here we are. And I think Sam Presti made one huge mistake in his GM career. I do believe that he thought that he had found the all-time greatest diamond in the rough in Russ out of UCLA. And I did not see Russ coming when he was at UCLA. I did not see any of this. And yet, Presti loved Russ, loved the way he competed. And I think he missed the boat on Kevin Durant, who said, okay, watch this, I'll show you. And Kevin went on to become the best player on the planet. Kevin led Golden State, which had failed against LeBron, obviously in 2016. He led them to back-to-back -back championships they would not have won without Kevin Durant. He was the leader of that team. He was the on-floor biggest shot maker, biggest clutch player, and as you recall, in two game threes back-to-back -back in 2017 and 18 in LeBron's house, 
Kevin just took over the the finals, took over those games, and won back-to-back finals MVPs. So Presti missed the boat on that one, LeBron. But the point here is, over All-Star Weekend, this was a masterclass of media manipulation, which was obscuring the truth. The truth is that LeBron right now, as we speak, has a good shot at winning this year's scoring title, NBA scoring title. He's only won one in his career. Jordan won 10, 10 to one, but he's got a shot. He's right there. He's hanging in at third, but he's barely behind one and two Embiid and Giannis, barely behind them, percentage points. So he's got a chance to do something extraordinary in year 19. Yet, wait a second, he's doing that? And the Lakers are four games under 500, obscuring the truth. LeBron, at age 37, is no longer capable of having the contagious effect he used to on a basketball team. He used to be able to lift and carry an entire team by putting that team on his buffed up broad shoulders. Can't do it anymore. Can't play defense anymore the way he used to. He's hovered around the 200 mark this season in what are called defensive win shares. 200th in the league? You're kidding me. Still shooting woefully poorly from the three-point line and the free throw line. But the point is that he can't do that anymore. They're still four games under 500. They're sitting in the ninth spot. There's some danger now that Anthony Davis has gone down and out for what, a month? There's some danger they're going to flat out miss the playoffs. There's danger they could make it into the play-in tournament, have to win two games to get into the playoffs and blow that, obviously, which would be no big shock or upset. And yet here we go again with the excuse-making. LeBron is the master of excuse-making because now he's already talking about his knee. It's swelling. Swelling, really? I know knees. I've had three knee surgeries. And if your knees swell, you've got a problem. You've got something that needs to get fixed. And maybe he does. But do you see him flinch or grimace or limp on the court? I don't. Yet he's now making the case that his knee is just as bad as his ankle was a year ago when said ankle cost him 20 games. And he said, He could never get right off that ankle down the stretch into the playoffs, obviously the play-in tournament, and then losing in six games to Phoenix, that it never got right. Well, I'm not seeing any indication on the court of any lingering knee issue that's affecting his game. He looked fine in the All-Star game. I, I don't know, but building in excuses just in case the worst case scenario falls upon LeBron's head. And now it's Polinka's fault for not fixing what LeBron did in the first place, his mistake on Russ. And all this reminds me of my all-time favorite LeBron excuse. Stop me if you've heard this before from me, but I got to tell the story again. I'm at ESPN. This is 2010. This was LeBron's first real flame out meltdown in a playoff series against Boston. It was actually the second round of the playoffs. It was his first time around in Cleveland. And 
They're up two games to one. LeBron played, I thought, maybe his greatest game ever. You could argue this one, but that was a Friday night at Boston Garden to put them up two games to one. And then right on cue, here we went. Games four, five, and six. LeBron shrank. He went from about 6'9 to about 5'11. And there went the Cavaliers. And there went the Celtics. And the Celtics delighted in stomping all over LeBron and sending him home in six games after he had led them two games to one. And all of a sudden, it was reported that next morning on ESPN from sources within LeBron's camp, sources I've mentioned already today, sources telling ESPN that LeBron had to be sedated before games four, five, and six because he was having an internal issue, a locker room issue with a teammate. Maybe some of you know that story, apocryphal as it might be, mythological as it might be. LeBron had to be sedated, so he played sedated, like out of it in games four, five, and six. I, I got to tell you, I laughed about that one for days. I'm sorry, I'm not buying it. Maybe I'm wrong, but I doubt it. It was another all-time classic LeBron excuse, and it was it was so bad that it was great. It it just it was hilariously brilliant, and and many people bought it. LeBron obviously has billions of what I call blind witnesses out there, and they swallow all this whole. LeBron's now turned himself back into a sympathetic figure. Never seen anything quite like it. And I wrap up this topic by driving home the point that everything I just detailed for you, everything from start to finish, this attack that LeBron has gone on against Palenka because of Westbrook, his idea in the first place, Michael Jordan never did anything like any of this because he didn't need to. He didn't need to plant excuses. He didn't need an out. He didn't need blame deflection. He didn't need to point a finger at this, 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 and this. He didn't need to plant seeds of excuses because he just didn't need an excuse, period. He went to six finals. He won six with six MVPs. Case closed. Let's take a question from you. How about this? Okay, I'm not sure how to pronounce this. It could be Octavio or Octavio. I'll go with Octavio. Sorry if I'm wrong, sir. Octavio is from West Orange, New Jersey, and he asked, do you still wish LeBron competed in a dunk contest? Obviously, LeBron has never, ever done a single dunk contest. Octavio, this is yet another reason LeBron is disqualified from any GOAT debate. Michael Jordan participated in three dunk contests. The great Dominique Wilkins, the human highlight film, did four dunk contests. Clyde Drexler, my man Clyde, did five. Dwight Howard did four in his days, his glory days. Paul George did two. Kobe did his one. He was great. Giannis did his one, and he was great. And LeBron did his none. His none? 
I believe the beginning of the end of the dunk contest as we knew and loved it, I used to live for it, happened in LeBron's first three or four years when he continued to refuse to participate in the dunk contest. His apologists, his defenders that I debated on TV kept telling me, well, he's an in-game dunker. He's a power dunker. It doesn't translate to trick dunks to win a dunk contest. I also heard that Nike feared that he would lose the dunk contest and, and maybe lose a little of his cachet as a sneaker salesman. To all the above, I say baloney. LeBron is a power dunker, but he's a highlight dunker, man. Even now, at 37, does he not bring down the house with his breakaway tomahawk dunks? He's a contest dunker in-game. LeBron James, at, at age 20 or 21 or 22, whenever in that period, he would have run away with a dunk contest because the judges would have just made sure he did. LeBron, you got to give back to the game that helped make you. You, you got to give him one dunk contest, and he wouldn't. And my, my theory from the start has been the same about his free throw shooting. He fears standing there alone at the free throw line with the world watching him, handshaking, having to make, you know, the one out of two to tie or the two out of two to tie, or the other night as we saw at Golden State, three out of three to tie. It's just not what he's made of. And I think the dunk contest followed similar lines because it's scary out there. Man, you got the whole world watching you by yourself try to create something that will bring down the house. LeBron could have just been himself. He's six feet, nine inches tall. He's maybe 270 now, but in those days he was more 240-ish, 245. You don't think he can get up? He can get way up. You don't think he would have won a dunk contest? Stop it. He would have won his one and done. And that would have been fine with me. And then the next death knell in the wake of LeBron was Blake Griffin. This is all the way back in 2011. You remember what happened? He jumped over a car. <laughs> well, <laughs> once a human jumps over a car to win the dunk contest, it's just, it's over. How can you top that? So we keep watching and hoping somebody will come up with something. And we had to go through the other night. Cole Anthony let it off. He wore Tim's. Okay. It's clever, I guess, but didn't do a lot for me. He wore Tim's. They're much heavier than sneakers. So it's a little harder to get up in Tim's. Still jumping over the even the hood of a car. I, no, I'm sorry. And poor Jalen Green the other night. I love Jalen Green. I do believe he's going to be better than Cade Cunningham. And, and Jalen tries and he tries and he tries and he tries. And you know what happened. It was just so painful to watch. It was embarrassing for him. It was embarrassing for us watching. And I can just tell you that my wife, Ernestine, and I, we're, we're to the point we live for the three-point shootout. It, it's what we, it, it's our whole night is built around the three-point shootout because there are no judges. It's real simple. Either the ball goes in or it does not. She's become a big basketball fan. She's not the most knowledgeable, but she can just see it went in. It didn't go in. And as we build up to the last rack, maybe it's the money ball. 
she can just see the score mounting or not mounting. Make it, make it, make it. She loves Patty Mills because we're Spurs fans. Patty sort of flamed out quickly the other night. But it's always great because great shooters do it because it's not that hard. It doesn't take that much out of you. And there's not that much room for embarrassment. It's not as much a solo act. You don't have to come up with any act or shtick or bit. You just shoot it. And if you lose, you lose, and nobody's going to hold it against you. It's just great. And now the slam dunk contest is a thing of the past. It's passe. It's, it's over. And I wish they would just flip the order because the other night, the dunk contest was the worst ever. You know it and I know it. And it was an anti-climax. It always takes the life out of the night after the three-point shootout. It has to go last starting next year. It's where the game has gone from the dunk, which used to be it, to the three, which is now it. More games are won. More momentum is swung, obviously, with the three-point shot than the dunk. Not that I, I don't like, I, I love dunks, but I love the threes, the deep threes, the logo threes more. Steph changed the game, revolutionized it from three, six feet three from three, as opposed to seven, two, point blank slam. So LeBron, I wish you'd just done one. Maybe you'd help save the contest at least for a while, but now it's over. And now it's out. <sighs> now to the NFL's LeBron, Aaron Bleepin' Rogers, back-to-back MVP. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed if you need to hire you need indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster and indeed doesn't just help you hire faster 93 percent of employers agree indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites according to a recent Indeed survey. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Bayless. Just go to Indeed.com slash Bayless right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Bayless. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another phony goat who has clinched being the all-time greatest in only one category, master media manipulator, all-time greatest. Just like LeBron, what Aaron continues to do on an almost weekly basis is hilariously brilliant. Aaron Rodgers just choked again at home in yet another fourth quarter, another big playoff game. Yet he is once again 
managed to turn himself right back into a sympathetic figure. And I am in awe of this process, this annual off-season process. He once again has Packer Nation at his feet, begging him, please don't retire, Aaron. Please don't demand a trade to the Denver Broncos, Aaron. Please, please, please. What was his latest trick this week? An IG post of the game he missed when he caught COVID, a picture of his two favorite receivers, Randall Cobb and Devontae Adams, standing on the sideline next to each other during the national anthem, having left a space in between them where Aaron had always stood. You post that, you know exactly what you're doing, Mr. Rogers. You know and I know that Packer Nation was going to rush to its keyboard to say, oh my God, this is it. He's planting the seed of a bombshell. He's dropping the hint of a bombshell. He is retiring. He's gone from in between Randall and Devontae, which means he's gone for good. Aaron, you knew exactly what you were doing. So Tuesday on his Pat McAfee gig, Aaron said with a completely straight face, and, and I'm surprised he can keep a straight face while he's doing this because I think he's on the edge of cracking up the whole time on a weekly basis. I, I read where some, I, I didn't watch the whole interview, forgive me. I can't stomach it. But there were those, I think on Twitter, who suspected they had heard a female laugh in the background. I don't know if he still was Shailene or not. Supposedly they had broken up, but then he talked about it as if they were still very much together and very much in love and that she was a big reason he had won back-to-back -back MVPs. I don't know, but I would get that if there was a female chuckle in the background because if it was Shailene or somebody else close to Aaron, I have no idea, but it's hard not to, to giggle with this presentation because I think he's having a hard time not giggling because he tried to say, oh, no, 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 no. I was just expressing my love for two of my favorites, my love for the game, how much I missed being at that game. Well, Aaron, you miss being at that game, if I might point out, because you lied about whether you were vaccinated. You said you were immunized, excuse me, immunized, but not vaccinated. We all found out you weren't vaccinated because you caught COVID and you missed that game because you weren't vaccinated. In largest part, that, that might be the biggest reason you missed that game is because you didn't get vaccinated. You would have had a much better chance of playing in that game, which obviously you lost at Kansas City if you had gotten vaccinated. That was the single biggest controversy of the year. You're actually calling back that controversy. You're actually pointing out the game at Kansas City that you missed for all the wrong reasons. And yet you're turning it into, I love my teammates and I love the game. You're, you're kidding. And people are swallowing this hole. And I just want to point out that like LeBron, Aaron has brilliantly obscured the facts. The facts are that two years ago, 
Aaron had it first and goal at the eight in a home, his first ever home NFC championship game. First and goal at the eight late in the game, down 31 to 23. And Aaron Rodgers, Aaron bleeping Rodgers failed three straight times. We've shown it again and again on Undisputed. You know what I'm talking about. The airmail pass that started it off, then the force to Devontae, and another ridiculous cross-body force to Devontae, double covered at the goal line. None of the three passes had a remote chance of scoring. And the young coach, Matt LaFleur, said, I, I've seen enough. I'm going to take the field goal that's going to make it 31 to 26. You're kidding. That's how little he thought of Aaron's ability at that point to not choke. Aaron, as the Jeopardy host, then later took a shot at Matt LaFleur for kicking the field goal. Well, it was fourth and goal from the eight. You're kidding. You can't convert that after what we just seen on the first three. You were choking your guts out, as usual, in big games. You won one long-ago Super Bowl, Aaron Rodgers, 11 years ago. Your one and only Super Bowl. And since then, you're seven and nine in the postseason. There have been all kinds of reports that Packers brass has gotten to the point it no longer trusts Aaron Rodgers, the back-to-back MVP in January and February. I don't blame you. He's given you no evidence. Seven and nine, and in six of those seven games, and I'm not going to put you through game by game again, but you know what I'm talking about. He and the Packers were very lucky to win six of those seven games. It could have been all-time nightmarish if the ball hadn't bounced Aaron's way in six of those seven wins against nine losses since the Super Bowl in the postseason. One in four in NFC Championship games, and now another home loss as the number one seed this year. Number one seed, home in Packer weather freezing weather against San Francisco. Aaron had the ball twice late in that game. In those two series, he went one for four for a grand total of four yards. Two possessions, four yards passing on one completion. As San Francisco tied the game, then won the game 13 to 10. Obscuring the facts turning himself back into a sympathetic figure. I'm in awe of it. I'm mesmerized by it. Failing on the field, turning into a, an off-season hero again for Packer Nation. Poor Aaron Rodgers. I say poor Packer Nation. I mean, Aaron Rodgers... In the end, he is a crafty fraud. Crafty fraud. Let's take another question from the audience, shall we? Ah, let's try Leon from one of my favorite cities, Houston, Texas. With only 11 being named, did the NBA leave off any active players from its 75th anniversary team? Okay, good question. I thought hard about it. I'm going to flip it on its head. Forgive me for this, but there are two players, two current active players. 
who did make the 75, actually 76 total, but the top 75, two who made it, who in my eyes have played their way off it already, who no longer belong. Laker Nation, I think you know who I'm talking about. Russell Westbrook, Carmelo Anthony, no longer belong on the all-time 75. I, it's, it's hard for me to continue to talk about Russ, but he has been exposed. His childhood dream of playing for his Lakers in the LA area that he grew up in has turned into his worst nightmare, exposed. I guess I keep saying he's a slam dunk first ballot Hall of Famer, but the more I watch him, the harder it is to wrap my arms back around that concept. Because I've said it from the start, Russ is nothing but a solo act of a stat machine who actually hinders his team's ability to win basketball games. On an almost daily basis on Undisputed, as you've probably seen, we put together blooper reels of Russell West Bricks, either turnovers or missed shots. Off a two for 11 or a three for 15 game, it's missed shots. Off a five, six, seven, eight, nine turnover game, it's the turnovers. Russ is leading the league in turnovers again. He has led it four times, he's placed second four times. He is the all-time turnover machine, but they're not just turnovers. They're so bad on a nightly basis that any one of them, as you've seen, if Russ were a sixth grade church league player, he'd get yanked for the turnover because it's just so bad. The coach would pull him over and sit him down beside the coach and he'd say, son, what are you thinking? What, what, what was, you, why did you leave your feet there with no plan? You, you have to, if you, if you leave your feet and you go up, you, you got to have an idea of where you're, you're heading. What do you see? What, what, what was developing? Well, nothing was developing. So he just had to throw it to nobody. He threw it to three opponents. And Russ, I, I've said this a hundred times now on Undisputed. He, he has convinced me he's seen, he has the worst hands of any point guard I've ever watched in pro basketball. Any ever. I mean, it's the one position on the floor where hands matter the most. Your hand dull. Ability to dribble and control the basketball. Pass the basketball. He just can't hang on to the basketball. He was not gifted with great hands. The worst hands of any point guard I've ever seen. Is he a rebounding demon? Yeah, he's the greatest point guard rebounder I've ever seen. And it gets you what? Gets you stats. It gets you for the last five years, he averaged a triple-double, something we never thought we'd ever see. And that contributed to what on the scoreboard? Nothing. He is wearing still number zero, as I always say, as in zero rings. Plays little to no defense. Exposed. I was... I was almost relieved that he didn't actually go to the All-Star game in Cleveland to be introduced live the way LeBron was. 
it was just on video that he waved. I, I, I was relieved for him that he was spared the agony of having to stand before all those people as a top 75 when he's once again leading the league in turnovers. Brings me to Carmelo. I like Carmelo a lot. I think he's, he's a good dude. But if you look hard at his career, he was in LeBron's draft, so he's played a long time. But he's just been hanging on now for about the last five years. Just hanging on. Nothing but a high-volume shooter and scorer. He did lead the league in scoring one time way back in 2013. He's 11th on the all-time scoring list just because he's lasted so long and taken so many shots because he's 11th overall in shots attempted. He plays even less defense than Russ, so it's a little hard for me to justify him on the all-time 75, and when I saw him even on All-Star Saturday night there, I thought, well, that's cool. Carmelo just went. He, he just went to be part of the festivities, the game he loves, just be around the fellas. I had no idea that he was actually on the all-time 75. It just didn't occur to me. So I'm, I'm sorry, Leon, but those two have played their way off my list. Allow me briefly to put Juwan Howard on the couch. Juwan Howard was part of very possibly the most famous quintet in college basketball history. In fact, I'll just go there. It was. Wasn't the most decorated, but most famous, yes. Sometimes infamous, yeah, I'll give you that. It was the Fab Five. You know it well, and Juwan was a big part of it. Michigan's Fab Five. And now Juwan, as you well know, is the head coach at Michigan. Though it's starting to be debatable how much longer he'll be that head coach. Juwan went on to be a good NBA player, not, not a great one, but definitely a good one. He did make an all-star team. And in his second season, this was at Washington, he averaged 22 and eight. That's pretty good. I've been following this league very closely for a long time. And Juwan, I would hear about, was, was seen as a, a good dude, played hard, could be a fierce competitor, never quite got the anger management issues that we've seen here of late in college basketball, but fierce competitor for sure. So what happened a second time to Juwan the other day? To me, bottom line, he can't quite let go of being a very good NBA player. Can't let it go. It's too much embedded in his psyche. And I think the main reason he can't is that all around him, especially in college basketball, more and more and more, we see coaches who didn't actually play the game at any high level maybe marginal college basketball, maybe division two or three college basketball background, but no NBA background. They come from nowhere, like a lot of now NFL head coaches just come from nowhere. Many of them just 
barely played college football or played at a lower level. And all of a sudden, that guy's a head coach. I told you Mike McDaniel, the new Dolphins head coach. Wait, he went to Yale and he was a walk-on receiver, but we can find no stats. I'm not sure he ever got in a game. Really? That guy's the head coach of the, yeah, he is. They're everywhere. Guys who didn't play at any level to speak of are becoming head coaches or managers in baseball and then head coach in NFL, head coach in NBA. It's everywhere. It's analytics driven. And yet I told you a week ago in episode six that my quote unquote cross to bear in this business for many, many years has been so many athletes challenging me on the air. If you didn't play, you don't know because you can't know. And so many times I've said, I beg to differ. I do know. I learned football and basketball in very different ways than those ex-stars learned it, but I learned it nonetheless with the help of head coaches in both those sports who taught me everything I know. A lot of players taught me a lot of what I know. I, I know enough to go toe-to-toe with any ex-NFL star, see Shannon Sharp, or an NBA star, see any of the number of commentators, ex-stars that we have on Undisputed. And yet, we go back to case in point for Juwan. He's at Wisconsin. He's getting his butt kicked by the Badgers. They're down 15 late. And the Wisconsin coach, Greg Gard, calls a timeout with 15 seconds left. He's got his subs in. He said after the game, and I, I tend to believe this, his subs were trapped in the backcourt. They were going to have a timeline violation. And he just said, I called timeout just so they could get the ball across half court. I don't think he was trying to show up Michigan or run it up or whatever. He did have his subs in. He didn't have his starters in. But here's Juwan at 6'9", looking down, down, down at Greg Gard. And I'm sure deep down, Juwan is thinking, wait a second. This guy never even played college basketball. At least I don't think he did. He went to Wisconsin Platteville, and I only know Wisconsin Platteville because I went there a number of times for the Chicago Bears training camp that they have held many years at Platteville. And yet, Greg Gard went to Platteville, but I find no indication, no evidence that he played basketball or got into basketball games for even Platteville. Start out, Greg Gard did as a junior high coach, then a high school coach. Then he hooked on with Bo Ryan. He was with him for 23 years as an understudy and then finally replaced him, as you know, in 2015. So he sort of came from nowhere with no real basketball playing background. I can't even find if he played in high school. I assume he did, small town, Wisconsin. But you just know Juwan is looking down, down, down at this little guy. And he's thinking, do you know who I am? How dare you do that to me? Show me up. And my Michigan team, I'm Juwan Howard. I played in the NBA. I made an all-star team. How dare you? That's, I believe, the deepest emotion 
that Juwan was feeling at that point. You, you could argue we could even go deeper into other areas, but I won't do that because I don't know enough about that. But I do know about this. Greg Gard didn't even play college basketball that I can find. And Juwan is looking at him like, who are you? And then all of a sudden the fracas ensues and it's pushing and it's shoving. And Juwan's got obviously anger management issues because we've seen it once before against Mark Turgeon. But all of a sudden, Wisconsin does have one assistant who did play fairly high level, that Joe Krabenhoff, six feet, seven inches tall. I guess you could say he's the enforcer of the assistants on that staff. So he tries to jump in the middle of it and break it up as the players got involved. And Joe Krabenhoff at six feet seven did start for Wisconsin. He averaged six points and six rebounds, tried to play in the, what was then the D-League played a little bit professionally in Korea and then Spain. So had some basketball background, six feet seven. And as you know, Juwan reaches over the top and mostly just slapped him. I don't know, but he made contact with his face and you can't, you just can't. And I remind you, there was an incident a year ago, Mark Turgeon, head coach at Maryland. He got into it with Juwan, not sure what the background was. Mark Turgeon is five feet, 10 inches tall. He was a backup point guard for Larry Brown at Kansas for four years. Not bad, got in some games, had a few starts here and there, known as a thinker, sort of Turgeon the surgeon, if you will, but not a consistent starter. Averaged three points and three assists in four years at Kansas, played on some very good teams, but didn't even try to play pro basketball at any level. So here we go again, 6'9 versus 5'10. How dare you? Who are you to challenge me? And they got into it, and Turgeon was quoted after the game uh, saying that Juwan was screaming, I'm going to effing kill you. Well, obviously, now you've gone completely over the edge during a college basketball game. It's certainly not the look that college basketball wants to project let alone the NBA. And here we go again. It's Juwan can't give up who he was. And who he was does help in recruiting in college basketball. He was a member of the Fab Five. He was an NBA All-Star. That's some cachet in some living rooms with some kids and their parents. I give you that. But on the basketball court, I give you nothing. It's now a completely level playing field for Juwan, even against little guys who barely played or didn't play college basketball. Level. You got to get a grip. You got to get a hold. And you got to give up what you used to be, which is a very good pro basketball player, Juwan. I, I'm okay that they just suspended him for five games. I'm barely okay with that. But he really has two strikes against him because that, that day at Maryland, he had to be restrained and pulled all the way back from going after Turgeon. Terrible look, wrong message. I don't know, I just have a gut feeling that deep down, Juwan's decent. I just have a feeling his heart is in the right place. But he's got issues. And I'm just hoping that the third time will be the charm as opposed to it being the third strike. Because one more, obviously, and he has to be gone. And once you get gone for that, 
you, you just might get gone for good from coaching basketball at any level. Another question from you. Can you rank your top 10 players that were named to the 75th anniversary team? Yeah, I definitely can do that. In order, I'm sorry, this is from uh, Devon in Portland, Oregon. Devon in Portland, Oregon, and I thank you for this question. Devon, I can do that. Number one, obviously, Michael Jordan. Number two, Magic Johnson. Number three, Shaquille O'Neal. Number four, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Number five, Tim Duncan. Number six, Bill Russell. Number seven, Kobe Bean Bryant. Number eight, Larry Bird. Number nine, LeBron James. And number 10, Wilt Chamberlain. I'm sorry, I'll say it one more time. It is laughable to me that anybody could even try to make the case, and that includes my partner, Shannon Sharp, even make the case that LeBron James is better than Michael Jordan. And if you give me any of my next seven players, I promise you I will beat LeBron and his team. If you give me Magic, Shaq, Kareem, my man Tim Duncan, who should have another ring, thank you, Ray Allen, or if you give me Bill Russell, the great Bill Russell, just on intangibles, on killer will, Bill Russell, or enough said, Kobe Bryant, I will beat LeBron James. I give him nine, but no higher. This brings me to today's final reflection. I will leave you with this. This is my rather poignant perspective on my man, Michael Jordan, the man I saw, as you did at halftime of the All-Star game the other night, as he was announced last, which made him, in my mind, and everybody else's first on the all-time top 75 list. Remember, the list was released in alphabetical order, not ranked. And yet Michael was saved for last, the best for last. Michael Jordan brought the house down. Michael Jordan managed to upstage LeBron James in Cleveland, Ohio. I never thought I would see the night. Michael Jordan looked great. Looked like to my eye, he could still play even though he turned 59 years of age on February 17th. I believe that the Last Dance documentary, which aired now about two years ago, believe it or not, how time flies when you're not having fun. The Last Dance hurt Michael in two ways. As he said, even before it aired, he feared he would come across as a quote unquote horrible person. Well, he often did during the Last Dance documentary. I was there, I covered that team. I got to know Michael, had the privilege and honor 
yeah, he can be what others would see as a horrible person. Maybe some of his teammates along the trail thought he was a horrible person. What was the upshot of his horrible behavior? He got the best out of every last teammate all the way down the bench. He motivated that team to win six championships and six tries. He was the MVP of all those finals, but he was also the MVP of forever and ever, as in the GOAT, because he was actually the greatest motivator ever, but he had to do it his way, and it was often a horrible or ugly way, and it worked. But did it hurt him PR-wise? Did it sort of hurt his heart? Yeah, it did, because a lot of people who were unaware of that Michael maybe thought less of him. Maybe the billions of blind witnesses out there, the LeBron apologists, leaped upon his horrible motivational tactics and tried to diminish his goatness. And then number two, as we saw him speak, Michael in the last dance, he looked like yet another woefully out of shape former superstar who passed his time sipping his whiskey, puffing his cigars. I think that hurt him too. I think that hurt his pride at the deepest level. And since that documentary aired, I've been told that Michael has recommitted to getting back into shape, to losing weight. Check, check. And as he was announced on Sunday night, as he did the final walkout, he wanted to look the part. And did he ever? I got goosebumps. He just looked great. Gone with the sort of bloodshotty eyes. The eyes that my man Shannon Sharp made fun of on Undisputed. Those, whatever you want to call them, henny eyes, whiskey eyes, whatever, gone. LeBron James was there, and, and LeBron looks great for his age, but, but Michael looked even greater for his age as he approaches 60 years of age. And I'm sure you saw the post-night video at the, the after party. You saw the great Magic Johnson, second on my all-time list, walk up to Jordan and some other former greats and, and was kidding them. Oh, this is the old zone over here. The old zone, the old guys. Michael Jordan, if, if you watch it again, he took real exception to that. His pride flared. He spat right back at Magic Johnson. I'll play you one-on-one -on -one right now. And he did so with a very straight face. There was no chuckling. There was no kidding. Magic was kidding. Magic, as he always is, is chuckling, smiling, laughing, having fun with the moment just commiserating. We're all getting old, aren't we? Jordan's like, not me. You want to go? Let's go right now. Obviously, Magic would have no chance against him right now. I still believe if LeBron had dared to approach Michael after the game, kid him about being old, I believe Michael would say, okay, how about you and I? Let's go out there once the arena has emptied. Let's go. You and I one-on-one -on -one right here, right now. Could Michael hold up? 
at going on 60 against LeBron at 37. LeBron's showing his age. He can't carry a team anymore. You know, okay, my head says no. Michael couldn't hold up in a one-on-one right now against LeBron. In his prime, he would have destroyed him. Both their primes, destruction on the part of Jordan. I've seen him do it to too many other players, one-on-one, post-practice. But I still believe that Michael Jeffrey Jordan would even now figure a way to beat LeBron just on sheer killer will. I don't think LeBron has it. Michael just spits it. Just through trash talk, physical intimidation. I believe Michael would figure out a way to beat LeBron one-on-one right now as LeBron starts to show some age. Look, ultimately, even Michael Jordan will lose to Father Time. But for now, Michael Jordan has decided to play Father Time one-on-one. For now. And my money is still on Jordan. That's it for episode seven of the Skip Bayless Show. I want to thank you for listening and or maybe watching. I want to thank Jonathan Berger and his all pro team for making this show go. I want to thank Tyler Korn for producing and making me go. Remember, undisputed on vacation for now, but I will return next week with yet another episode of the Skip Bayless Show.